Hello and welcome back to Psychics and Sidekicks with me, Sean Bennett, as your host. And a wonderful guest today is Barbara With. Uh, Barbara has a, a very interesting background. And the one thing that really caught my eye was channeling Albert Einstein. So we're definitely going there. But other than that, thank you very much, Barbara, for joining us. Just tell the listeners a little bit about you and then we'll get stuck into the Q&As. Oh, sure. Thanks for having me, Sean. I'm a psychic channel. I've been a psychic channel since 1987. And I, at some point along the way, decided to do some group channeling. And that's when I started to document my experiences and publish them in, I've got six books now of my experiences as a channel and how the whole story of how we got from where I was to Einstein. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to share it with you today. So channeling Albert Einstein, I'm, I'm not going to go there straight away. I think we'll we'll work our way through to that. So since the, the late 90s, you say, one of the things that really interests me really is, is how people come to discover this and then work with it. Because I've had a few conversations where people say, we're all born with these abilities, but education and society basically knock it out of us. And, um, and so we become these different characters. But some people keep it. So are you a keeper or did you, are you sort of a later discoverer? Well, I'm a keeper, but I like to describe this process in terms of music, because mm -hmm. I think music is something people can readily wrap their head around when you're a jazz yep. performer mm -hmm. and you're, and you're ad-libbing, you go into somewhere and you pick up something that then comes through where you're going to play just, you know, this much before you're going to play it. And that's really a form of channeling. And that's how I started. I was very young. I was a musician, probably five or six years old. I climbed up onto the piano and started to figure it out. And by the time I was 12 or 13, I was writing music. And that was really a lot of the same process that then sort of morphed into channeling other things besides music. So when you discover channeling in that in that way, that makes sense. My youngest boy actually is very good with music. He's he's a natural, and um, and I'm just amazed at how people pick these things up. Playing the piano is always something I've wanted to do, and I've never really sort of sat down and tried to do it. So I don't know. I'll get it on the bucket list, and I and I will learn one day. So channeling is one thing, but psychic abilities. How did you sort of? differentiate and and sort of pick up the difference between the two? That really started to happen in high school when I was invited by my friend Michael to come and see what his mother did. And his mother was a channel, even though we didn't call, call it that. We just said, we're going to go get a reading with Eunice. And she would close her eyes and go into some sort of meditation and then talk to us in this incredibly loving, kind, compassionate voice. And a lot of the conversation with Eunice was about how to make our lives better, how to make my life better and what I was going to deal with and how to maneuver around it for, for my greatest good. So that was when I started to understand that there's this other thing of called being psychic. Mm -hmm. And so I studied with her for I don't know, 10, 15 years, I would go see her twice a year. And then I would study what she said against what actually happened. And so in 1987, when I started to spontaneously automatic write, I knew what it was. 
I clearly I knew what it was. It was still surprising to me that this was kind of happening to me. So that's when it shifted out of music and into something different. And when I asked in that automatic writing, because I'd been writing a very angry, judgmental letter to a friend of mine, and it totally shifted into this compassionate voice explaining how when you make judgments about things, it's like having a lens that just shuts down and all you see is a tiny part of it. Yeah. So, and when I asked them, who are you? The answer was sound. So being, I'm a natural skeptic, right? So Mm -hmm. I thought, well, sound, I mean, I get it. I've been working with sound my whole life in music. So I was okay with that. And my mentor, Eunice, described herself as a giant antenna. She just was picking up information. She'd pick it up from your higher power and she'd feed it back to your human mind. And that's kind of how I started and how it was explained to me and how I took it on, I guess, because it wasn't something I saw it. That's for sure. Yeah. Excellent. Excuse me. So I recently had a conversation with my friend Andy. So I, over the last five or six years, um, had a friend who's a psychic medium. And this is where psychics and sidekicks came about. So he does the talk and I do the tech. So we we record these mediumship evenings and we provide those as a file, as a freebie for anybody that's had a reading from him. And it's something they can take away and uh, just basically listen back because so much of it that you're processing at that pace, you probably remember 20 to 30%, if you're lucky, of what happens in those five, six to 10 minutes. And so we thought that there would be this this other way and we were having a conversation the other night it was his last one of the year and Andy had just made a connection with this young man and and was just reeling off piece after piece after piece of information and feedback and it was amazing and I I just said to him I'd love to be able to see what goes on inside your head (laughs) just to understand a little bit of what you as the channeler actually are coping with in order to make sense of it and to share it with someone. In your experience, is that something that you've gone through where, where you're sort of providing information to other people? You're giving them readings? Do you do you sort of follow that pursuit as well? I do. I have this experience of from all these many years of doing it of mm-hmm. I don't go into a, a meditation. I and I I remember while I'm speaking. So what it Mm -hmm. feels like to me is it feels like I'm an actress. It feels like I close my eyes and suddenly these words come out of me. And I, I, some of them I hear and listen to, some of them are just being impelled from within me. Sometimes if it's a particularly sensitive situation, I, I can sometimes like observe and then describe rather than feeling like I'm I'm embodying some other entity who would have you. So but for the most part, I have to say now, too, after all these years, that it feels very natural. But what's different is if you see me speak, like I'm a I'm a professional speaker, I'm an inspirational speaker, and then you see me channel, clearly there is a difference in those two things. And I'm a good speaker, but when I get into that channeling state, it's unbelievable. It's it's just 
fluid. And now there's very little editing in those transcripts that I ever have to do. So, yeah, it's it's really a gift, and I feel very honored. Excellent. Thank you very much for that. So you've you've given me a couple of bits of insight so that we we could sort of I would say sort of take this conversation down a particular path, but I like that I'd like to let it flow. But information that you've shared with me, psychic sorority. Just define that for me, if you will, and expand on that. Well, after about five years of doing individual readings, I decided mm-hmm. I wanted to do groups. I wanted to see what this voice that was coming out of me. Now, remember, I was an antenna. That's how I felt about it. What would they say to a group of people? And what what are they saying at all? Because nobody ever talked about their readings. I would record it and give them a tape, but nobody ever came back to talk about it. So no one in my current circle was interested in doing this. So suddenly first came Teresa. She was a referral. She sent five women. Then she sent her best friend, Kim. And when the Kim came, it was a clear elevation of energy between us when she came for this reading. It was a mile a minute. And she went home, transcribed her reading, and then called me back and asked me to help her figure out what it all meant. And that was the beginning of Kim and Teresa and I getting together and talking. And probably about the same time I thought it, they said to themselves, hey, we've got this group of women. Maybe Barbara will come. And I thought, oh, my gosh, here's my new group. So I called them up and we were like, oh, I was going to ask you. So that was our very first group. And it was 30 years ago tomorrow that we did that first group that everything has then since sprung from. So they're the psychic sorority. Right. That's lovely. So um, I might have a couple more guests then if we can can progress it and get get some of your friends on there. That'd be really Yes, absolutely. and it, and it's lovely to get different people's perspectives of things as well. I've just, today's episode actually that's come out is a lady called Susan Gerbic, who she particularly looks at um, exposing phony psychics, particularly celebrity ones. So she's got a, a very specific channel. And it was a really interesting conversation. But for me, it's, I, I, love the fact that, I love the fact that I've got people at all different ends of the spectrum that are interested in this and it's taken me on a wonderful, wonderful journey. But I'd like to go back in time now and um, I will bring up Mr. Albert Einstein himself. And you, you say that you can channel him or you discovered that you were channeling Albert Einstein. How did you even discover that? Well, when I started channeling groups, Mm-hmm. Kim and Teresa asked in a reading, we did a lot of triad readings, who are you? And they said at that time, you can call us angels. And I was highly skeptical. I said, I listened to her, your podcast with her, and I thought, yeah, I get this. I was highly skeptical. Angels, what does that mean? But the three of us talked about it and decided that we didn't really care who it was. Because what they were telling us, and this is going to lead to to Einstein's uncovering, was that they were this group of angels, and they had come up with this revolutionary way for humans to resolve conflict that was also going to be a pathway to global peace. And they called it world peace one person at a time, starting with yourself. 
And they were the step-by-step instructions for how to do that. And they were us to test it on real conflicts in our lives to see if it worked as revolutionarily as they imagined that it would. Yeah. Now, I just was talking to last week saying, what did we think 30 years ago? I mean, what did we think? Well, we were so first in transforming our lives and using the, giving us our lives better that we were hooked. And sure enough, we started to fight and we started to use that information and it was really revolutionary how it worked. And so this process of us taking the channeling and using it on our own conflicts and then real realizing the results from it is what developed conflict revolution, which is the training I started in 1999 and I'm now traveling the world right now teaching and training people. I step instructions for world peace one person at a time, starting with self as a pathway to global peace. And you can't believe how many people in this day and age in 2023 want to talk about this. Unlike back in 1993, peace was kind of just whatever. And now we're all on the edge of our seat. So we published our first book, Diaries of a Psychic Sorority, Talking with the Angels in 1997. And in 1998, my literary agent got a call from a paranormal tabloid in London who was looking for an interview with Princess Di from beyond the grave on the one year anniversary of her death. And I, again, totally skeptical. I'd never done such a thing. And it was kind of cheesy to me. What really you want me to, how do you do that? How do I, I mean, dead people had been coming and getting, wanting to get information to their loved ones, but that's a whole different thing than, going to after much consideration i i did it i channeled the interview i sat down and typed the questions and the answers and when i printed it off it was so profound and her whole message besides what happened that night her relationship with dodie her kids etc was that she was there to inspire people to make peace she said if everybody who put flowers on the palace when I died, would commit to making peace, we could have world peace. And so that was part of the idea, they, she said, was behind this idea of getting a, an interview with her in a tabloid where it would be seen by millions of people. And I was like, wow, <laughs> that's brilliant. And she's like, I know, but we are not in charge. So it was through that. They flew me out to New York. They'd wine me and dine me, but they didn't want the interview because you, you know, there wasn't anything about Charles and Camilla. And, but my age, I, maybe there's more dead people. And so we made this list and we started to see who would interview and the Nicole Brown Simpson. And that also was an incredibly eye opening interview. And it got to John Kennedy. Also fascinating. He said to us, you don't have to worry anymore. We'll tell you who's coming up in the queue because we're working on this book and we want you to publish this book for us of these interviews. So this was party of 12, the afterlife interviews. And the next one up was Albert Einstein. And when I started to channel Einstein and for him, I did embody him. I imagined. And then I spoke and we recorded that voice was so familiar. That was the voice that was coming out of me when I did personal readings. That voice, I believe, was sound 
back in the day. And I really feel that his energy was with me through all those musical years because he too was a musician. And so I was not a huge Einstein fan. I wasn't, I'm not a physicist or a mathematician. I, all I ever wanted to be was a rock star. Right. But, but I was so enamored with him that I thought I'm going to do a book just for him. So in 2005, 100 year anniversary of e equals MC squared and his miracle year. I did several group readings and then I set about that winter to edit. And what happened in that winter was that me imagining the book is called Imagining Einstein because that's what it was like. I'm imagining sitting right here. It's 1904, right before he's big. And he's telling me how to put together this information and what he's doing. He's giving me a unified field theory from afterlife that includes what he calls maps of human consciousness and a scientific quantifiable definition of compassion. And this work that I did and published that book not only was sent me around the world teaching and training and getting this word out, but that really was the book that proved what the angels were telling us all those years ago about why this process they they taught us, why it works, scientifically why it works. Well, plus the scientific definition of compassion with a quantifiable measure of how that works was just brilliant. But I, I didn't know. I didn't know science. I'm like, what? You're telling me the the source of everything is in the center of the earth and it's a black hole? Really? You're telling me that? Okay, I guess. I was a little afraid of being embarrassed or, you know, because I don't know if that's true. But honestly, about a month ago, I heard um, Brian Green, who's a string theorist, talk about black holes in that way, that black holes aren't just stuff that's way out far in space. They can be small, compact. And he even said there is a black hole in the center of the Earth. So this whole that whole thing completely changed my life and got me out there on exposing this stuff to to uh to the more population and and now that I'm on this peace tour conflict revolution is really what people are looking for they're looking for something that they can do in these times that's going to make a difference and I'm I'm very excited about that so that's how I that's how I met Albert oh that's uh, that's mind bungling <laughs> Sorry, I can't even say it. Mind-bogglingly amazing, really, just to to listen to you talking about that and the the, um, the information you're sharing there is fabulous. And you know, we've just been watching on the news tonight. It, it's a terrible state of, of affairs out there at the moment. Mm-hmm. And you know, pe- families of eleven living in plastic tents in Gaza. It's just crazy. And, and to think that what you said about the Diana piece, everybody that laid a flower. At the palace there, that is um, that's a movement, and if they could channel that mindset and movement towards peace and and just understanding of each other, that would be an amazing thing. I don't know how you fire it up though. <laughs> getting something like that started that that is a bit of a a revolution, as you say, and that, and I, I love the conflict revolution title that you have for it. I thought that's really good. So where did, where does this take you now? I'm guessing literally all over the world. Yes, I did actually after Imagining Einstein came out in 2007, I traveled all over the world. 
until about 2011. And then the uh, happenings here in the U.S., especially in my home state of Wisconsin, started to take some downward spirals with some corporate fascism coming in. And now now it's rampant over here. But I I stayed home to start a journalist co-op, a media cooperative, and start to report what was going on in the government in my state. They were trying to put a big open pit iron ore mine on the shore of the Great Lakes where I live. And so I stayed home for probably since then doing that and other things. But in the recent state of affairs in the past few years, I realized that I've got this information that is so valuable and so inspiring and, and it works so well uh, on the microcosm. And so Einstein and the party and it's, they've been preparing me to go off in the world and do this peace tour. So I, I started it on July 9th. Now July 9th was the anniversary of the Russell Einstein manifesto. It was Einstein's last paper that he wrote and he died before they could read it. But on July 9th, 1955, Bertrand Russell read it at Caxton Hall in London. And it was a plea to world leaders to resolve conflicts peacefully because World War III will be the end of us. And this was 1955 he was doing this. And and so yeah, when only, I believe... It's only 10 years after the old one. The, yeah, the, after right. After number two. And, and, and it was 55. And now look what we have. So I felt totally impelled to... So I've, I, I rented out my home. I live on a little island in northern Wisconsin. And took to the road for my for my world peace tour and so far it's been m- more mind-boggling than I could have ever imagined and I'm not even really into it I'm I leave the United States in at the end of January I'm going to spend a lot of time in the UK actually yeah. with uh, some side trips over to France and maybe Oslo and some other places but for the most part I'm going to be traveling around the UK and and offering these services offering to teach people this process not as a like a promotional tour like a money making tour it's like a peace tour like let's get this done let's inspire people let's show them how to do it and how much difference it can make and i'm i'm jazzed i have a lot of hope because i i just think i think humans at our root i think that we're made of compassion frankly and that when people understand that amazing things happen absolutely and it is it is from a personal point of view it's so much more inspiring to actually look for a positive out of any situation and, and to t- or to turn it to a positive and you know and to understand what made somebody do something that wasn't necessarily pleasant and try and see it from their perspective and see how you might be able to help and influence them to be different you know, and to take a different approach really is. I've, I've been on a bit of a journey discovering myself this year through getting involved in, in this stuff with Andy, working with him. That's inspired the podcast. It's inspired one or two other things throughout the course of the year as well. And, and it's, um, I don't know what it's going to take me, but it's really good. It's very exciting at this, this particular point in time. I just wish I had a few more hours in a day to be able to fit it all in. I hear you. <laughs> but um, yeah, if, when you're in the UK, do let me know when, when and where, and if there's an, an opportunity to get together, you can just have a coffee and a, and a natter. Absolutely. 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 We should do that. I'd love to do that. Yeah, me too. So we've done conflict resolu- revolution, <laughs> psychic sorority, and, and where we've 
that amazing story about Albert Einstein. I absolutely love that. It's going to be um, a, a real grabber. I know it will. Yeah. Where else can we go? I mean, I think one of the questions really is that the conflict revolution is great, but how are you going to make that happen as one person? Well, I'm not just one person. Right. I have m many, 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 many people through the years of 30 some years of research and development into it. But secondly, I think that my experience being psychic, I've never been somebody who's super predictive, like I'm here to tell you when your boyfriend's coming back. It's really been all about the evolution of human consciousness. And so I feel like that prediction that Diana made in 1998, that if this goes in a tabloid and 40 million people see it, and even some of them are inspired, this is how we're going to do it. And I think there's a really brilliant plan here that it's Einstein, because I'm telling you, everybody still loves him. He is as beloved as he ever was. And if I, when I continue on this journey, which is being divinely guided, I'm telling you, that there's going to come a point like there was in 2007 when his first book came out, Imagining Einstein, and I was slogging along with my promotion and this and that, and I was invited out of the blue to attend this event in Taos, New Mexico called The Quantum Leap that a man named Jeffrey Hoppe and the Crimson Circle were doing. He had, somebody had given him my book, it sat on his bedside for a year, he read it on my birthday, and then immediately said, this is the highest channeling I've ever seen, come and attend this event. And when I did, it was live broadcast to about a half a million people around the world. And wow. it was, my whole life changed. It was invite, 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 sale, 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 invite, invite. And I could have gone on to, to, till today with all of the invites mm -hmm. that I got. And that's what I'm, that's kind of my plan is there's going to be someone along the way who's going to be able to give this some lift. Like if I could interest Russell Brand or Joe Rogan or someone to give it lift. It's not about grandizing me. It's about having people go, what? There's something I can do. Where is it? Let's do it. And I'm really excited because I just know how my life has been, and I'm pretty sure that's where I'm going. <laughs> Excellent. I I have spotted one other phrase in the uh, information that you shared with me prior to this call, and that's metaphysics. Tell tell the listeners a little bit more about metaphysics because it's a word I've heard quite often recently, more often since getting involved in this podcast. And I'm hearing it more and more or seeing it more and more. But it might be something I, that listeners are not particularly familiar with. Well, and there's probably a couple different ways to use it. The way I use it is that if we look at science, real science itself, scientists that actually went to school and do science, science is about speculating. So Einstein had what he called thought experiments. So he imagined he was riding on the wave of light. And he put himself in that body. That was metaphysics. That was him sort of metaphorically imagining rather than a mathematical origination. And I think science does that a lot. They do that speculatory conversations and investigations to, to find out what is the truth. 
So, but then there's metaphysics that has more of a kind of a paranormal, like alternative looks at how matter is created and speculation on those things as well. So I think there's different ways to look at it. I like to look at it as that time and where we're discussing and speculating and metaphors and getting down to the bottom of things. So, I mean, I, I've got, uh, there's a lady that's local to us who've been talking to, and, and she, she describes herself as a visionary and says that she's seen from being a young girl visions of utopia and dystopia. And she uses metaphysics as a reference, and, and she's very much, of, and not in a scientific perspective or way, but very much in the uh, sort of the energy side of things and how energy is this and and. When I talked to her, you could just see she's like visualizing as she's talking. She's visualizing and her, and her brain and her, her mind's going on a journey. And it's really fascinating just to watch her as she's speaking. But we lose track of what we're talking about as well then when, you, when you're visualizing so, so vividly. And that's been really fascinating as well, talking about that. Do you do anything as regards um, manifestation? Oh, yes. Yes, manifestation is really kind of the core idea behind conflict revolution because the yeah. idea is in this system that we've we've described and that we use it's a perfect system it it projects into the lens the physical world exactly mm-hmm. what it's programmed to do so the chair the table all your conflicts they're all contained within this non-physical part of the system. Uh, Kerry refers to that very much in in manifestation with with the metaphysics. And that's why I've sort of jumped into that. So I just wondered whether, because you've mentioned metaphysics, whether that was linked into it with yourself as well. Yes. And so the idea is that when we bring peace, we call it aligning to compassion, and there's a very specific Mm -hmm. way that we do it, then naturally what manifests in the lens is peace. If we're if we're providing peace from within us and doing it this way, then we change what manifests around us. Now, the experiment is the macrocosm. Now, the World Peace Tour is about if it works on the microcosm, which it does every single time I use it. Anytime anybody uses it, we get these miraculous results. It should also then if we can get enough people practicing it also work on the macrocosm so that it it starts to affect global instances as well but in the meantime we're being finding peace we're starting to thrive we're getting healthier we're having more peaceful relationships that are all emanating outward from the peace that we're creating rather than waiting for somebody to go into that lens and manipulate some sort of a negotiation so we get peace we become that peace and we radiate it and change i guess in the same way jesus wanted to teach us you know he could just walk through a crowd people could touch his hem and they would be affected by his powerful energy excellent i um <clears throat> i had a go at manifesting myself recently Oh, and so through, so through this, through this year, I've been, I've sort of got more into practicing meditation. Uh, still say I'm not really sure whether I've got it, but I do it. I tend to do it because I'm quite active <laughs> through the day, I tend to be right 
put the meditation on at night. But uh, very recently got talking about setting up a men's peer support group, mental health support for men locally. And so I thought, I'm going to have a good manifestation. And I put my meditation on, laid down, shut my eyes, and basically just asked for a sign or a signal, an indication that what I had been discussing and what I was looking to, to do was the right thing to do. There were easier ways, which would be to bring in an existing organisation into a space or set up a new one and start. And the following morning, on my, I was on my journey to work and I ended up stopping at a bridge and assisting in the rescue of a person who was in crisis. Oh. And we spent about an hour on the bridge with him. Oh. And and all over the, through the weekend, I was like, well, I did ask for a sign. <laughs> so, <laughs> Could that, you get any was, bigger of a one? Quite, I mean, really. <laughs> yeah, that's not quite what I was looking for. But yeah, absolutely. And, 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 you know, these little things that we do, just go and show the, the show to somebody who, like myself, I'm, I'm probably, uh, you know, quite self, <laughs> self-effacing and, and think, oh, I'm not this, I've done that. And people ask me, have you got psychic abilities? Well, I, I don't believe I have, but somebody has told me that I do have an ability. And I'm like, okay, well, we'll work on that and I'll learn how to tune into that. And all of these other things, and I just think, what a journey I've been on in the last 12 months. And I'm meeting people like yourself, and it's, it just enthuses me, and it just gives me much more positivity and drive to keep going and to keep doing this. And I suppose the point I'm getting to with this is, you said right at the beginning of the conversation as we were getting ready, about getting the message out. And do you think that in the last, well, I don't know, in what I'll ask you, I'll reframe it. In what period of time do you think that we, as as society, as as humans, as we are at present, have actually become more accepting and more aware of this whole spiritual thing? And and you know, it's for many many years it was quite a taboo, wasn't it? But now it's much more open, and that was one of the reasons I did the podcast is just to open that little Pandora's box a little bit more. And to share my journey with other people. And hopefully that it might enthuse a few more people to go, actually, maybe there is more to it. Exactly. And as far as when I think the acceleration took place without mentioning too much, I would say the past three years have accelerated what we've been doing for decades now. And then, of course, before that, especially the spiritualist movement that started a lot in the UK. But in the past three years, the it's proportional to the decline of what we know of society and governments yeah. and everything that's happening, and the incline of people who are opening up, whether they like it or not, to feeling compassion. Mm -hmm. So what's going on in the Middle East right now, as horrible and horrific as it is, it is moving people to get in touch with compassion in a way that they 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 never have before and they don't know what to do and they're looking for those answers. And so when I come along with my very hopeful ideas like we're all psychic and in fact the maps of human consciousness explain how intuition is a very integral we call it a spiritual organ the three human dimensions it's an integral part of how we operate 
So more and more, I'm telling you, 30 years ago, we were channeling this idea that everything at its root has emotion. Okay, so in 1993, when they said at the root of the chair is emotion, I was like, what are you even talking about? What does that even mean? And now that I see the maps of human consciousness, I see these unified field theories that use emotion with a capital E as this primordial soup of the creative nature of the universe. Clearly, there's a there's a pattern or a, a learning curve that went on all through those 30 years to get us here. But now everything is totally accelerated. People get this in a heartbeat. When I explain it, they go, that's brilliant. Yes, yes, yes. As opposed to 20 years ago when they were like, what? Emotion can make me (laughs) sick? So it's really, really profound. It makes me very excited and and happy. (laughs) Yeah, it it, it is. And it's going at at quite a pace as well, isn't it? And um, I think for, for many things, the pandemic with covid opened up people's minds to lots of things some of it quite negative mental health obviously being one yeah that's that's really spiked that's not to say that it wasn't there people have just become more aware of it or more affected by it and and i just see this now as you know if if people are more embracing of some of the alternatives and you know what were theories and actually start to embrace it and, and look and listen and learn and be open. That's all people need to do, really, is it? Is be open. If you're closed, you're closed. It's never going to change. And the blinkers come in and you, you're just only ever going to see what's right in front of you. But um, if they open their eyes and their ears and look and listen a little bit, there's so much more out there to learn. Yes. And that's why we talk about we're we're looking for the participation of the willing. Because people mm-hmm. who are willing to do this thought experiment with conflict revolution, they're the ones that this is going to take. And speaking of mental health, this revolutionizes psychotherapy and mental health. It's And it's such a little shift, but it's the difference between thinking we're so wounded and we need all this healing. And we have an operating system that we just never knew how it really worked. And so we haven't been really running it right. We've been thinking when we think we're feeling and uh, we don't even know we have intuition there. And when we explain it all and then show people how they can participate in aligning this to compassion, it's completely, I, I'm very excited to get this information to some yeah. mental health people that I'm, that I'm looking to reach out to. Fabulous. And I liken this to, um, to photography. As well, I, I I love gadgets and uh, photography is one of my passions as well. But it, it's just it's reframing. And and with photography, if you take a picture you don't quite like it, what do you do? You just reframe it and you just you know change your perspective, change your focus a little bit, change your angle, and reframe it. I think people need to do that with their lives a lot more. Um, and hopefully, some of this information that we're sharing might just help people to have a think and reframe. Yeah. And it's not even a huge reframing. You're not no. overhauling the whole photo. You're maybe adjusting the f-stop a little or, uh, you know, a lot of times with your model, it's just a little, if she turns her head this way. And that's how, Literally. that's how our work is. It's just a little shift of understanding what you already know that makes you go, wow, I never thought of it that way and opens up kind of whole new worlds. Yeah. Fabulous. I love it. 
can't wait for you to come to England. <laughs> I can't wait to meet you. That's fabulous. Is there anything else that you want to talk about, Barbara? Anything, any particular point you'd like to get across? I mean, I'm, I'm kind of hogging you with questions a little bit. Is there anything that you would like to, to share? Well, I think before we go, just, just some value added tips for your listeners. If they're wondering, you know, what, what is this conflict revolution? And there's three kind of simple salient points. One is that is about emotion. And we've been told, you know, new age stuff and metaphysical stuff, you know, we're only supposed to feel this section of emotion that's high vibration and we're not supposed. No, what we're doing in Conflict Revolution is we're finding ways to the whole entire gamut of feelings. So it's not about being only in one part. It's about unifying the whole field of emotion. And what happens is emotion as this primordial soup of the universe flows up through us. And then it it creates the voice of intuition, which is really the voice of compassion, which is the fifth fundamental force of the universe, always impelling us to take the next step for the good of the whole system. And then the third, it flows up into our intellects. And the way that we create reality is the, these three human dimensions are working together so that the emotion is carrying all those things we're seeing, like the de definitions. And then intellect goes, that is a chair, that is a chair, that is a chair on some level. So we can't stop that. But what what's happened is our ego here, it takes control of the whole system. And intuition might be impelling you to take a step. And intellect and ego has the power to say no to your intuition. So, and we've all had this where you intuitively, you hear, you feel this, rest, you know, rest your body, rest. And our minds go, oh, I can't rest. I've got a hundred, you know, and Einstein says that point between intellect and, in, and intuition in every human is the root cause of all conflict. So chew on that for a while. <laughs> and if you think about the voice of God within us is always there impelling us. And if we could learn to be its faithful servant and do its bidding, then we're going to make decisions that's going to affect the good of the whole. And I think that's where the world peace one person at a time starts. So that's great. And so for the listeners, how can they find out more about you and about conflict revolution? You got any socials that you'd like to share or Facebook um, sure. sorry, or website information? If you want to put yes, those I in there, we'll get that done as well. Absolutely. I've got barbarawith.com, B-A-R-B-W, no, B-A-R-B-A-R-A-W-I-T-H.com. And I've got a big reading sale going on right now, too. And then uh, synergyalliance.llc, Synergy Alliance. That's the whole, that's Conflict Revolution, all the books, all my associates, the psychic sorority. And then I'm on Facebook, too. I've got Barbara With and uh, Einstein in the Party and Diaries of a Psychic Sorority. So you can find me, find me all over the place, but I'll drop those to you, too. That's wonderful. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Barbara. I know we're going to have more conversations. I look forward to you coming to the UK. I will make sure that I make time to come and say hello. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you.